Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. We're in a series called The Songs of Jesus. How many of you love songs? Come on, today is the day before. Now, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, uh, but fellas, please don't get more excited about the Super Bowl and then forget tomorrow. How many know if you go crazy today, but you forget tomorrow, ain't going to be no Super Bowl. It's going to be the toilet bowl. Come on, somebody. We're talking about the songs of Jesus. And, you know, there are certain, I guess with this being Valentine's weekend, I think about certain songs. Baby, you know, we got a list of our songs, don't we? Our song, our love songs. Mmm, come on. Are you, look, no, lean into this now. Don't get all nervous, babe. Come on, where are you going? Where are you going? Dum, bum, 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 bum. I've got sunshine. I do it. I feel it, babe. That's all the feels right there. My love, there's only you in my life. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm glad the Bible says make a joyful noise. I don't sing real well, but I can make some noise. You know, we talked about the power of music and, and how the scripture is filled with these things called the songs. Psalms are, are not only words that Jesus quoted, but they're songs that, that he sang. And the, the early church would declare these songs. This is taken from the book of Psalms. You know, it's the playlist of Jesus. We talked about how uh, Psalms is the longest book of the Bible. Uh, it was quoted more than any other Old Testament book by the New Testament writers, and Jesus referred to the Psalms more than any Old Testament book. So many of the Psalms are prophetic in, in speaking of his life and his ministry and his mission. Last week, if you were here, we talked about praying your fears, praying your fears. Today, I want to talk to you about praying your tears, praying your Tears. I'm not big on cry. At least I wasn't. I was not a crybaby. I really wasn't. I don't think, and I know you find that hard to believe. <laughs> but for real, I mean, I just was like unmoved, you know, as a you know, teenager growing up and as a young man, just, you know, taught to be tough and rugged. And, and then, you know, July 27th, 1996 changed everything. I got all weepy and sad when, when Rachel and I, we got married, and I see her walking down the aisle, and when I set eyes on her, I got that lump in my throat. <laughs> and then I, I, on our wedding day, babe, remember I played and I sang a love song to you. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, you'll never forget that. And I literally saw tears coming down her, her face. And I don't know if that was tears of joy or like, please, end this song. It's pathetic. <laughs> cried the day that I got married. I, I cried when my children were born. I remember when Alexa was born, uh, the doctors or the nurse actually came out to the waiting room and talked to the family and said, listen, the baby's fine, <laughs> but we're not sure about the father. I was a mess. How many of you cry when you watch a, a sappy movie? Oh, yeah. I tell you this, confession. I cry every single time I watch the Disney animated movie Tangled. 
Rapunzel, have you seen Tangled? How many of you seen Tangled? At the end of the movie, remember, like, you know, she was kidnapped as a child, and then, like, years later, when, she, when she's restored to her mom and her dad, and that part, it's, it's emotional. I do, I weep every time I see that movie. I know it's a cartoon, but uh, if you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever laughed so hard that you cried? You just belly laugh. I mean, you, I mean, it's cry. You're losing functionality of your body. Just, we did that this past week. Some of us went to a conference. We hung out, and we just laughed. Laughter is so good for the soul. It's, the Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. Sometimes I've laughed so hard that I've cried. How many of you, when somebody, you're maybe in church, and you see somebody crying, or somebody up here is preaching and teaching, and when they start to cry, it makes you cry? How many of you, you get weepy when somebody else is broken? Yeah, Rachel's the best at that. She, if you're going to cry, she's going to get in there, and her eyelashes will start. <laughs> that bottom lip, I'm like, okay, there she goes. This is my girl. You know, the truth is, I don't really like sad. To be honest with you, I don't like sad. I like happy. My, my default is happy. I wake up, and I'm the happiest person in my house. I come to church. I'm definitely the happiest person in this room. Nobody's going to out-happy the pastor. I love being happy. But, you know, I'm thankful that God makes room for sad. I really am. I am grateful that God creates space in our experience that allows us to be sorrowful, to grieve, to mourn. How many of you have walked through some sad days? How many of you have cried your tears? Oh, yes. If you have children, you know that sad days, it's not just their pain, but it's your pain too. I've wept for eight months over a child who was struggling, you know, to find herself. I wept when my parents divorced. I remember 10 years ago, man, our church went through such massive transition. Man, my heart was broken. I'm thankful that God makes room for our tears. Can I have a good amen? You know, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. L lamenting. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And his whole ministry, he proclaimed God's word and not one single person heard his message. He wept over the destruction of the temple. Jeremiah cried when the Jews were let off into exile. You know, I think about Jesus when he looked at Jerusalem. The Bible says he looked upon the city and he wept because he longed to draw the Jews to himself, but they would not receive him. I'm reminded of Lazarus when Jesus showed up at the tomb. The shortest verse in all the Bible is Jesus wept. He cried even though he knew what he was going to do. Come on, somebody. He knew how he was going to redeem the whole experience, yet he slows down long enough to feel sadness and sorrow for the loss of a friend. You know, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, a Jesus who never wept could never wipe away my tears. Mm, mm, mm. How many of you know that Jesus is touched with the feelings of our sadness? When you hurt, he hurts. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 56, I want to teach you out of this psalm. This is a, a, a great psalm to pray when you're walking through a season of sadness. Uh, last week, we talked about what to pray when you're afraid. 
Today, this is, this is how to respond, what to pray, what to say, what to do in your worst moments. How many of you know God can take your worst moments and turn them into your best opportunities? Psalm 56, this is a psalm that, again, was penned by David. And many of you know David, he lived a life that had a lot of ups and a whole lot of downs. I'm, I'm thankful for the writers of Scripture. You know, that they didn't live some sinless, perfection, stained glass life. But it was filled with problems and struggles and challenges. David had some ups. Um, when he was just a teenage boy, Samuel anointed him to be the future king of Israel. When David checked on his brothers who were in battle one day, you know the story of David and Goliath and how this young teenage boy with, with a, a rock in his pocket and God in his heart, he defeated that Philistine giant. And in one moment, David became a national hero. But then from that moment, the scripture says Saul kept a jealous eye on David. In fact, Saul was so enraged with jealousy that he tried to kill David. And now David is fleeing for his life. And in this psalm, David is so fearful for his life that he escapes to the land of the Philistines and he tries to find refuge among God's enemies. David was a man without a country. He didn't know where he belonged. He didn't know where he fit in. Does anybody identify with that? You ever felt like just, I feel homeless in my soul. I don't know who my tribe is, where my people are, where I add value. David was running from King Saul, so he was far away from home. He goes into the enemy's camp, and the Philistines look at him and say, hey, we don't want anything to do with you. You just defeated our champion, Goliath. And so David, he writes these words. He carries the anointing to be king, but he's living like a fugitive. And here's what he says in Psalm 56, verse 1. He says, Oh God, have mercy on me. <laughs> That's a great way to start a prayer. Oh God, I just throw myself at your mercy. He says, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Now, right here off the bat, do you sense the desperation in David's voice? If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to do write down is this. Number one, if you're in a season of sadness, maybe you're, 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 you've cried a river of tears. Number one, what you do is you pour out your heart to God. Just pour out your heart to him. Uh, you know, unload everything that you feel. Uh, uh, all the emotions, the struggles, the hurts, the disappointment, and just throw them at the mercies of God. There's something about desperation that creates space for the supernatural. You weren't built to sustain all of that on your own. And what David does here is a beautiful example for all of us. Some of you are walking through the most difficult season of your life. I'm telling you, hear me, church. I have to preach this message today. I have to speak it to you. You know why? We can't be a healing place for a hurting world if we don't make room for tears. We can't act like we got all of our stuff together. Listen, I'm not here to impress you. And listen, you're not impressing anybody here. How many know God knows exactly where we are? 
He knows our struggles. Man, he sees our good moments, but he is intimately familiar with our hurts and our heartaches. There's something about the element of desperation that touches the heart of God. You know, in fact, I'll tell you this. Desperation plus expectation equals visitation. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She had suffered for 12 years and sought the help of doctors and didn't get any better. She only grew worse. This woman was desperate, but she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. There was a sense of expectation. Desperation plus expectation created visitation. Jesus was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Who touched me? The disciples were like, what are you talking about? Jesus, everybody's touching on you. Look at the crowd. He's like, no, 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 no. This was a different touch. Listen, bring your desperation to the house of God. Pour out your heart. Uh, don't be afraid to give him your unrehearsed, unedited, uncensored self. God doesn't want the sanitized you. He wants you. Are you with me? How many of you remember growing up in school and you were in English class and you had to write papers? <laughs> and did you feel that groan? Some of you are crying tears right now just remembering what it was like. How many of you just despised writing term papers? You hated it. Yeah, why was it so difficult? Do you remember the process that the teacher brought us through? It first started with the rough draft. Start with the rough. Some of you are getting triggered right now, aren't you? Start with the rough draft, and then, you know, you take all the thoughts and ideas and anything closely associated. You just kind of put it on paper, and then you go through a series of revisions and edits, and, and let's start to size and shape this thing, and then you, you end up with the final version. Come on, writing, a it's kind of like writing a sermon. How many like to, to preach a sermon every Sunday in front of like thousands of people and get graded each week? You feeling my pain, aren't you? <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you. I feel the love. <laughs> well, you know what? In writing a paper, you start with the rough draft. Sometimes I feel like we're trying to give God our final version because we're afraid that he's going to grade us on the rough draft. Come on. Are you with me? God says, no, no, no. I'm not grading you on the rough draft. I'm the author that's helping you to write the story. Come on, somebody. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He says, I want your unedited, uncensored, unsanitized self. Bring your rough draft to me. The good stuff, the bad stuff, the ugly stuff, the embarrassing stuff, the painful stuff, the disappointing stuff. Pour out your heart to me. He's writing the story. Think about the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume. Remember how the Bible says that she anointed Jesus and then she washed his feet with what? Her tears. Speaking of tears, she's literally crying and I mean, her tears are falling from her face to the very feet of Jesus. And the Bible says she takes her hair and then begins to dry them with her hair. She's, she's pouring her heart out upon Jesus. And guess what? The disciples are criticizing her. Oh, what a waste. 
Oh, she spent all that money on this, this, this perfume. It was the, a year's wages. What a waste. Listen, what the disciples called a waste, Jesus said, no, no, this is her worship. It's not a waste. It's your worship and where you pour your heart. He actually said to his disciples, you don't understand what she's doing. She's anointing me and preparing me for burial, and what she has done will be remembered. Anywhere the gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be remembered. You know what I love about this house? We make space and room for sadness. It's okay to not be okay. And these altars, one of my favorite things about the church is the time that we have at the end of service where these altars are filled with people, broken people, hurting people, confused people, disappointed people, struggling people, hopeful people, trusting people, honest people. And you know what? These altars are messy. It's the rough draft of our lives. We're giving him Everything in complete honesty. I pray that as a church, we never get away from the altars. You know, it's it, it like you know, progressive churches. You know, it, it's, it's a little concerning to me how I'm seeing a direction in churches today where we'll sing our songs, we'll we'll give three points in a poem, we'll say a nice, neat little prayer, put a gift bow on it, and then we'll send you out the door. And people never have a chance to really connect with God. You owe it to the call of God on your life to give him the rough draft. And he's promised with the help of the Holy Spirit, he'll bring you through some revisions and some edits. And I, I promise you this, you will not be disappointed with the final version of what God has for you. Come on, you believe that? Put your hands together if you believe that. Number one, pour out your heart to God. David says, oh God, have mercy on me. Look at verse four. Here's what he says. I praise God for what he has promised. Somebody say promised. David says, I give praise to God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? In this verse, I see something very powerful. Number one, not only do we pour out our heart to God, but number two, we cling to God's word. We cling to his word. He says, I praise God for what he has promised. For what God has said. You know, sometimes all you have to hold on to is a word from God. Sometimes the only thing you have to grab a hold of is a word from the Lord. I thought, you know, Rachel and I, we moved into our house and, you know, it was uh, a lot of planning, a lot of preparation. We moved in. We didn't have any handles or knobs in our bathroom. Not a single handle, okay? A lot of cabinets and drawers, but not a single handle. Do you know how hard it is to open a drawer and get your toothbrush without a knob or a handle? Listen, and not for weeks or for months, but years. Five years, am I right, babe? Five, four and a half? Four years. Okay. Well, the amplified version is five years, okay? <laughs> for years, okay? I'm telling you, for years, 
We didn't have handles on any drawers in our bathroom. And I would literally have to claw. I'm telling you, you gotta, when you're trying to open a drawer with no handle, you gotta scratch and claw your way to get there. Just to get my toothbrush and my toothpaste, I'm telling you, claw marks everywhere. I had to literally grow my fingernails out. Just, I'm telling you, I didn't do that. But we would reach, and you know, you're trying to, okay, time to brush my teeth. Here we go. Reach down, and for for years, four years, I think it was five, felt like eternity. You grab the hand, you grab the, the, the drawer at the same place, eventually you're wearing the paint down, okay? Scratch marks, claw marks, no paint, until finally we got some handles. I was like, yes! She's like, baby, these are it. These are the perfect handles. So, I mean, we, we installed handles, but guess what? I would go to brush my teeth, and out of habit, I would still claw the drawer. God's reminding me, boy, you got some handles now. You need some new habits. Come on, somebody. Can I tell you this? You know what God's word is? God's word is a handle. God's word is something you can hold on to when you're going through the darkest, most difficult days. Now, here's the problem. Here's the pr- Listen to me. If you don't know God's word, you have nothing to grab a hold of. If you don't invest this book into your life, when hard times hit, you're going to be grabbing feelings. Come on, somebody. You're going to be grabbing some wrong friends. Come on, talk to me. You're going to be grabbing headlines and whatever narrative and circumstances. And God says, no, my word is a handle that you can hold on to. Guess what? Not only is a handle something you can hold on to, but a handle opens doors and gives you access to places and spaces that you couldn't get there before. Are you catching this today? When you're walking through the most difficult season of your life, pour your heart out to God. Give him the rough draft. But I want to tell you this. You've got to hold on, cling to this book. Cling to it. Grab a hold of it. That's why we encourage you to read the Bible every day. What have I told you every week of 2022? Make a commitment to two things. What what am I telling you to commit to? Number one, to God's house. Be in the house of God. Listen, if you don't like God's people or God's places now, what makes you think you belong to heaven? How are you going to act when you get to heaven? Because it's filled with God's people, and that's God's place. Come on, somebody. Be in the house of God. And what's the second thing I encourage you to do? Get in the book. Get in this book. Read this book. Listen, stop expecting a full-time Jesus on a part-time commitment. How many want Jesus in your emergencies? Well, listen, you got to pull him out on the normal everyday days. You got to build some habits in your life that says, I'm going to grab hold of the word of God. I know my feelings are telling me this, but my faith is saying, hey, this is the promise of God's word. Sometimes all you have to hold on to is a promise from the Lord. You know, the the problem with our, our country today, there's a famine in the land. Now, this is the most wealthy nation on the planet of the earth. But we are starving for the truth of God's word. We don't know the book. And when you don't know the word of God, you can't access the power of God. 
It's reminding of a story I heard recently about a, uh, a young man named Bashira. Grew up in Central Africa in a devout Islamic family. Bashir goes to visit his uncle. While he's working as a, at an internet cafe, a missionary gives Bashir a Bible. Bashir takes this Bible home with him. And he remembers what had happened years prior when he tried to read the Bible. His dad took a knife and cut him to pieces. He spent nine days in the hospital. And he realized that day that he was not a Muslim. He didn't know that he could be a Christian, but he knew what he was not based on how his dad treated him. Now here he is several years later, and he's got this Bible that was given to him by a missionary, and he's afraid to read it because he knew what happened to him before. Secretly at night, he begins to read the scriptures. He said, I tried to read just a little bit of it and put the Bible down, but I couldn't stop. He said, the next story was better than the previous story. He said, in three weeks, I read the entire New Testament. He said, after reading one night, I was laying in bed, and, and I, I, I thought I was asleep, but I heard this voice calling my name saying, Bashira, it's time to believe. He had a vision of Jesus in his room simply by reading the Bible. He gave his life to Christ, and one night as he's reading the Bible, his uncle comes in, discovers him reading this book. His uncle called his dad, and his dad said, kill him. So his uncle grabbed Bashir and drug him into the courtyard and had all of his belongings around him. He laid down two books, the Book of Islam and God's Word, the Bible. And with a pistol and a silencer, he put it to his head and said, Young man, you've got to choose. And at that moment, Bashir said, I couldn't deny my faith. I'd seen Jesus through his Word. So he grabbed the Bible and he clutched it. At that moment, the uncle pulled the trigger. Bashir felt the impact of the gun, but he said, it felt like something cold was pressing upon my head, protecting me. The impact of, of firing the gun knocked me to the ground, but I felt nothing. So the, the, the uncle pulled the trigger a second time, and a second time, he was spared. Nothing, no bullet, no injury, no nothing. The uncle realized he, he couldn't kill him, so he kicked him out of the house and took all of his belongings, poured gasoline over stuff, set it on fire. Bashir's future had gone up in flames, and the only thing he had was his faith in God. Well, do you know, check this out. Months later, his uncle gets sick. In fact, he's got swelling, unusual swelling in his arms and in his neck, and he's in the emergency room now with nine military police officers because his uncle was a who's who in that community. And he thought that Bashir's God had cursed him because he had tried to kill Bashir but couldn't. And now there was a curse that was resting upon him, so he called for his nephew. He said, would you pray to your God for me? Bashir comes to the hospital and visits his uncle. The only thing he does is read the word of God to him, says a prayer over him, and leaves. Five days later, his uncle walks out of that hospital totally healed, has the book, gives his life to Jesus, and all nine of those military police officers do the same. Can I tell you, church, there is power in the word of God. And if you'll hold to God's word, if you'll cling to it, even when your feelings and circumstances don't agree with it, man, if you'll just put your faith and trust in this book, can I tell you, God's promises 
have no clock. So our faithfulness has no expiration date. The Bible says in Psalm 30, verse 5, that God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Can I have a good amen? Number one, pour out your heart to God. Number two, cling to God's word. But number three, trust God's plan to redeem. Trust God's plan to redeem. I want to ask the band to come up. Don't you see this? The last couple verses I want to read to you in Psalm 56. Look look, look at what David says in in verse 8. David says, Lord, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle, and you've recorded each one in your book. Notice what David's referencing here. He's referencing a bottle and a book. David uses language. God, you're keeping track. You collect and you record. Why would David make reference to a bottle and a book? What is God doing with every tear that we cry? Scripture says he collects it. He collects it in a bottle. Some of you, your your bottle is bigger than others. You've cried a lot of tears. He says, and God, you record each one in your book. Now notice he's collecting, he's recording, he's keeping track of. You know what that word in the Hebrew means? It, It means that God is numbering. He's assigning He's counting. Oh, hear me. This is good news. Why would God record your sorrows? Some of you are trying to forget the pain that you've been through, and God's saying, no, 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 I'm not forgetting it. I'm recording it. Why would God record it? God records it so he can redeem it. Why would God keep record of it? Why would he keep track of it? Every hurt, every heartache, every pain. God's collecting those tears and he's writing things down because he records our suffering so that he can redeem it. There's a reason why. God doesn't waste pain. Come on, somebody. Nothing you've ever experienced with a child, sickness in your body, with a financial need, betrayal, something at work, sabotaged by others, lies made up about you. Think about the most difficult stuff you've ever been through. God's written it in his book. Why? To redeem it. You say, Mike, what do you mean redeem? You ever, you ever found a gift card that you didn't know you had? And you're like, oh, wow, it's a good day. Gift card to Roos Chris. Come on, somebody. Rachel was digging through the drawer, the other, the one with the handle. She was digging through, <laughs> digging through the door and says, hey, I've got a gift card to Roos Chris. We're like, yes. What's our first question when we find a gift card? Has it expired? And how much? You want to know if we got to split a salad? Uh, No, no, baby, we get appetizers for the table. Come on. We check out the amount because why? The card card has no value as long as it's sitting in the drawer. What do you got to do with the card? You got to redeem it. You got to convert it into something of use. You see, listen, that card can be in your possession, but unless you activate it, it can't be redeemed. 
some of you have been holding on to your pain and God's like, no, 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 I got you. I got you. I saw it. I saw what they did. I saw what they said. I saw how he hurt you. I saw how that marriage dissolved. and I saw the, the waywardness of that child and how it broke you to pieces. I've written it down. I've recorded it so that I can redeem it. You see, the psalmist said in Psalm 90, he said, God, give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Do you see that? In proportion. Somebody say, in proportion. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. In other words, if you've been hurt a lot, there's a whole lot of joy that's in front of you. If you've suffered a lot, listen, now is not forever. God says, I've recorded it so that I can redeem it. And if Jesus can help us walk through the valley of the shadow of death, then on the other side, there is a life that's waiting us that we could never imagine. You see, even Jesus himself, he went through Gethsemane. Gethsemane means a place of crushing. And what did he do in that garden? He poured out his heart. God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Hey, that was a rough draft right there. That was his humanity wrestling with his deity. In that garden, he understood struggle. He poured out his heart. Yet what did he do? He clung to the promise of God. Not my will, Lord but sure will be done. And you know what God was doing? You know what God was doing with those tears? You know what God was doing with that prayer? He said, I'm going to put these tears right here. That prayer, I'm going to put it right here. That, that suffering. Because shortly after Jesus prayed that prayer, he went to a cross, suffered, bled, and died. But three days later, See, God has the last word. He always has the last word. Let him give you the final version of this story. You see, Adam in the Garden of Eden created a whole lot of hurt and pain. But in this garden called Gethsemane, the last Adam redeemed it. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit HealingPlaceChurch.org.